We're glad you're here tonight. We're going to continue with our study uh, about the uniqueness of God and, and, and how God does all these things that doesn't quite make sense to us. Um, and one thing I'm figuring out, there's a lot goes on in the church that I, doesn't make sense to me anymore. Uh, I saw an ad today for some church that was doing a thing Sunday. It was called fun, Have Fun With Worship or something like that. And they were giving away a 50-inch TV, flat-screen TV. And they were having a bounce house, and all for the cost of a can of uh, Chef Boy RD pop-top food. And uh, they said, come, enjoy the fun, bounce in the bounce house. And worship was like number seven on the list, you know. And I thought, what happened? What happened? Where, where did the church go when, when things like that take place? I want us to tonight to talk about unique. I want us to talk about Paul. You know, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about the apostles and how, how these were guys that they were like us. You know, they had all of our shortcomings. They they suffered from pride and and radical ideas and I, I don't know what else. And then last week, this group of men that was traveling with Jesus, he gets down on his knees and he starts to wash their feet. And, and you could tell when he did that, that that they didn't understand. They didn't quite grasp. And, and he really didn't say, I'm going to take the time to explain to you. If you haven't figured it out by now, you, you better start because things are getting real serious. And, and I got to thinking about Paul being called as an apostle. Now, I'm, I want you to think about something. When, when you started, I don't know what you do, looking around for a spouse, did, did you want to find the one that, that was, was totally against everything you stood for, that was taking your people and arresting them and dragging them off and and, and all of that. Now, we looked for somebody that we had something in common with, something we shared. Uh, Becky and I had different backgrounds. Uh, God love her. She'll get over it. Uh, she's almost through with it now. She was a Yankee. But I've converted her, and, and she's all right now. But uh, she'll even eat black-eyed peas and cornbread. She wouldn't do that when we first got married, you know. Uh, but... But even though we had such different backgrounds, we still had some shared goals and visions and we, we, we appreciated life in, in the same way and, and that was important. And, and I always think about Paul, where he was and what he became and the process of him getting there. Don't you know that blew the minds of the other apostles? And, and, and we'll read where, where it did. You know, I mean, it just, they, they thought, what is this? And what's going on? I want us to go to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to be reading in there. Or actually, I think it's, yeah, Acts 1. And this is immediately following Stephen's stoning. And, and, and we know how, how, how brutal of an event that was. But, but you remember during that process of all that that was going on that um, uh, Stephen more or less gave, presented 
offered up the same message that Peter did at Pentecost. And, and he went through the whole thing that Peter had gone through, and they stoned him. And if you remember, as he was dying, what, what were his words? Forgive them. Forgive them. Sound familiar? Something, something that Jesus did, didn't he? Forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. They, they don't know what they're messing with. But in Acts begin, uh, 8, uh, beginning with the first verse, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Now, just let those words sink in. He was consenting to his death. Now, that doesn't mean he had a rock in his hand and he'd been throwing them. But I always get this image while, while Stephen lays dying or dead that Saul is standing there kind of with his foot outright and his hands up here and his kind of smile or smirk on his face and kind of nodding his head. That's, that's the image I get. Consenting unto his death. And then it says, At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Now listen in verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, now remember, this, this is the one in, in, in chapter 9, we start reading how, how Jesus appears to him. And how Paul just, or Saul at that point, just dropped to the ground. This is the man that Jesus called. Now, I've got a question for you. Why? It, did it make sense? Or, or if, if you have a business and you've got a product you're trying to sell, or are you going to go out and try to hire the most disagreeable person you can? To go out and be the face and the voice of that product? No. No. You're going to try to find somebody that has a positive presentation, somebody that that uh, uh, gets along with people, and and uh, you know all of those things. You don't want somebody that's just anti everything you stand for. Have you ever gone to a car lot and start to buy a car and the salesman say, oh, you really don't want that one. That's not even good. It costs too much and it's not going to last very long. I've never had one said. They're always perfect. Whatever I'm looking at, that's perfect for me. I mean, you'd look good in that car, you know, the way they approach it. But it said, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. And what does Jesus do? As Paul said, he says, I was called to be an apostle. And the way he words it, he says, I was called in the most unnatural of ways. Paul himself in, in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4, if you want a summary of the biography of Saul, Paul, at this point, it said, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, he said, I, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, false. Now, he's not proud of that. He's making a point to the Philippian uh, brethren, but, but he's saying, look, you're proud of being a Jew. He said, if anybody has reason to be proud of their Hebrew heritage, he says, I have it. He said, I've got all the right letters. He was schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. And, you know, all of that. He had everything. He was a Roman citizen. Not many Jews were. He had it all. But what does he do? All of his letters, if you read them and listen to them unfold, he says none of that mattered. Absolutely none of that mattered. Now, I've got two more questions for you. Did, did, did Saul, not Paul, did Saul love God? He did. What, what, was he obedient to God? In his understanding, he absolutely was. Was Paul passionate and zealous about serving the God he understood? Absolutely. Years later, when you read his letters, he knew that, that God forgave him. He knew that Jesus had died for him. But let me ask you something else. This is the second question. Did Paul ever forgive himself? You ever thought about that? I think he did, but he didn't forget. I think he wasn't proud. I think sometimes that's what Oh, I, I, I wonder. You know, I, I've heard sermon after sermon on the thorn in the flesh and all that, and I don't have a clue what it is really. But when you listen to his letters, he, he's not proud of where he came from. He has zero pride. In, in, in all of those letters that stand behind his name. And, and he was a Pharisee. Now, who, who are the Pharisees? What set them apart from the other Jewish sects? They were the letter of the law, guys. Not the spirit of the law, but the letter of the law. And if you read some of the extra-biblical, historical accounts of things that were going on at that time, Paul was kind of raised from a young man to become a Pharisee. That was his father's goal for him. But to become a Pharisee, of course, he was in Tarsus, and, and, and become a Pharisee, you had to go to Jerusalem to be trained and taught and tutored. That's where Gamaliel come in. I mean, he worked hard become a Pharisee. <laughs> now, did Jesus ever have an encounter with a Pharisee? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Woe unto you, <clears throat> you scribes and Pharisees and other things. Sure he did. But yet, what did he do? He called this Pharisee. This, this man that was creating havoc in a church that he had died for, 
a church that he had left in the hands of 11 and the 12th that was chosen to, to be with them, that was young. And then he takes this guy. Now go to verse 1 in chapter 9 in Acts. <clears throat> it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, now this is immediately before his encounter with Jesus. In verse 3, As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like that. Nobody had ever explained it to him that way. Right? Nobody had ever put it to him quite that way. Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Just like that. He goes to him. Look at Acts chapter 1. And in, in chapter 1, this, this is where Jesus has, has his disciples gathered together right before his ascension and at his ascension. And he tells them, you know, kind of gives them their, their marching orders for immediately following. And he said, y'all just stick around for a little while. So they stick around and they go up into the to the room and 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 they're there and and of course Judas was no more. He, he was the betrayer. He'd gone out and hanged himself and, and and he was no more. So they said, "Look, we need another one. We need another one." Look at uh, beginning in, in chapter one, verse uh, twenty-one. It says, "Therefore, of these men who have accompanied." accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two people, Joseph called Bersabbas, who were surnamed Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So now there were twelve. 
But did you notice what he said? They had to have been where? Witnesses to the resurrection to Jesus. And I always thought, well, why did everybody else have, have these other requirements? But no, how do we know Paul wasn't present at the crucifixion? Witnessed in the resurrection. You know, we, we don't know whether he did or he didn't. Because Paul was a public figure. And Paul was around. And Paul knew people. Saw him on the road for sure. That, that one, for sure. But Jesus appears to him and he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? And you know, just think, of course, you know, we're talking about humans, just like the other apostles were. We're talking about humans probably in his own mind saying, I'm not persecuting you. persecuting a church, a group of people, the way, a movement. But you know what? He may have had a fleeting thought like that, but he heard Jesus' voice. He heard Jesus' voice. What about the other guys around him? Did they hear that voice? They didn't hear a thing. They might have been talking among themselves saying, Paul's been tipping a little bit. You know, I don't know. But they didn't hear what Saul was hearing. But from this time forward, he's no longer Saul, is he? He's what? He's Paul. Guess what? He's a new man. <laughs> and he's really fixing to become a new man. All right, look at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Made an impact on him. And in a vision he seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. See, even the very one that, that uh, was being told to take care of Saul is saying what? He's saying, do you know what you're doing? Do you understand? Do you really know who this guy is? You ever notice how people argue with Jesus all the time? Just like when Peter called him out. What are you talking about? They're not going to kill you. We're not going to let them do that. Now you've got Ananias as a guy that's being taught to embrace this new man, Paul. What does he say? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what he's done? Do you know the people he's arrested? I, I don't know. I can't off my top of my head. I can't remember where he says he killed any of them himself. But he sure arrested them and got them where they were exposed to that death that many of them faced. 
And he said, and even here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. That's what it told us at the very beginning of the passage. You know, he said, you, you go, you go, guy, and, and you do it. But listen what Jesus said in verse 13, uh, 15. 13, 15, whatever. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a what? A chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Did you catch that word, those two words? Chosen vessel. In other words, Jesus said, you don't worry about the details. He said, I've got the plan worked out. And, and, and it's going to move forward. This is the one that I have chosen to do what? To go to the Gentiles. That becomes an issue later on in his, his ministry. And kings and the children of Israel. Because where did he often find himself? At the Roman church, what was he facing? He had Jews and Gentiles together in the same church. And he was, he was working both sides. You know, explaining, look, you know, you're smug because you think you're special. And the Gentiles were, you know, leaning back and smiling all about it. Then he'd turn on them, but look what you've done. You've got to put all that behind you and what? Get behind the one. And, and that's, that's what he's doing. Now, in 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was what? Baptized. Now, let's say you're one of Paul's compatriots, compadres, whatever you, you want to call them, that he was so deeply invested with in the persecution of the church, how did they respond to that? You know, they didn't believe it, did they, really? But they didn't like it. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, watch how this unfolds. And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them down to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. He didn't wait long before he started preaching, did he? First chance he got, he started preaching, preaching in the synagogue. Now look at 23. 
Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Tables turned. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, listen to this, he tried to join the disciples, but they were what? They were afraid of him. They were all afraid of, of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now, turns and twists all the way through. He, he's literally on the road to do what? When he, on the road to Damascus. Where was he? What was he going to do? He was going to catch them. He was going to imprison them and do, do all that. I mean, wreaking havoc. That's what he was doing. And it was during the process of that journey that Jesus made the call on him. And then when the other brethren in Damascus hear of what he had done and his baptism and, and, and all of that, had they forgotten who he was? No. It, it, it's like everybody had to remind each other, do, 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 you, do you not know who this guy is? Do you not know what he's done? Do you not know what his plans were at this very place? Now, look at it from Paul's perspective. Okay? Have you ever been anywhere where you were absolutely different from everybody there? I don't know in what way, but you can almost hear the whispers when you walk in the door. You know, you know what I'm talking about? He walks in the door and you can kind of see the crowd, whatever that may have been, kind of move to the side. Now, was that a welcoming gesture and they were showing great honor to him? They were scared to death. And they didn't want him to be in their midst. Why? They didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. See, what Ananias was telling, Lord, don't you understand that when this guy gets in among the Christians, the Christians are not going to have anything to do with him. Now, we're right here in Damascus, and he was on his way here to arrest us and expose us to what? Death. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. So, when he showed up at Ananias' house, and Ananias came and laid hands over his eyes, and it says something like scales fell off, 
immediately his sight was restored. Is this talking about strictly physical sight? Absolutely not. What sight was it? What was he seeing? He was seeing Jesus. He was seeing Jesus. And, and, and the revelation, the vision, the, 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 the call that was made to him far exceeds anything any of us, I think, can ever imagine. Because the power of that moment, the power of that moment. Y'all remember Don Heron taught science for so many years in school? We, we were at school. This, this, this has a point what we're talking about. We were at school one afternoon and three or four of us were talking and Don was talking about an arm teeth that when I tell my wife what, you know, what we're going to do, so we just go ahead and do it. And about that time, the end door opened up and she said, Donald Herring? And I mean, he was down the hall and in her car before the, the, the door closed, you know. I mean, <laughs> okay. Now, <clears throat> this is the same thing with Saul. The same thing with him. He was a bad dude, okay? He was a bad guy. He, he was an evil guy. He, he was in control. I, I don't know how many he had traveled with him or at his disposal or anything. I don't know any of that. But people were terrified of this man. But what did it take? But the voice of Jesus that came to him and said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul. Was anybody expecting that? No. And even though, this is another one of those cases, even though we understand that God's plan and Jesus' purpose doesn't line up with what our understanding of life is about. To, to this day, it exceeds where we are and what we're able to comprehend. But eye to eye with Jesus, as he was. And Jesus speaking directly to him. He didn't argue with him. Why are you persecuting me? And, and, and you know, I truly believe that it's very possible that as, as zealous as he was in his mission, I never doubted his love for God. I've never doubted his passion for God. But he had been so tainted by the tradition in which he had been raised that he was unable to see God as he really is. And it took that simple, I'll say simple, I mean, it's, it's miraculous, but I, I mean, it's it's such a, it's a, a, a simple voice that speaks to him, the voice. Blinded, saw no need to eat, 
And then when the hands are placed over his eyes, the scale fall away and his vision cleared. And from that moment, he became one of the mightiest warriors that we read about in the New Testament uh, uh, scripture. Because one thing I've noticed about Paul, he wasn't afraid of nobody. And all my understanding of, of who Paul was as a man, he wasn't a big guy. He wasn't really a great speaker. Really didn't see too well. He, he really didn't write very well. But guess what? He believed. Now, let me ask you again. Why did God call this man? There were better people out there. Good people. Quote. Why did God call? He knew what he was capable of. People knew what Paul had been capable of and what he had done. You know what a victory that is for Jesus when somebody of that nature turns so rapidly, so quickly, so fervently, so zealously to become the mighty warrior of the gospel that he became. The message that that sends out. Because immediately what was happening was his old buddies were out to get him then. And his new buddies were kind of standing back from him to let him prove himself who he was. But he knew that was going to happen. He knew that was going to happen.